0: So Jesus was Jesus was raised from the dead, and as he was getting ready, he was walking along, and the disciples they started to take off to go and tell the rest of them that he was risen from the dead, and Jesus stopped them in their way, and Jesus said to them, Rejoice. Rejoice. And After they rejoiced, they came and they grabbed him from from his ankles and they worshiped him and they rejoiced. So uh, today I want you to turn to the person next to you. Whatever you're going through, Jesus would say, say, rejoice. Yes, rejoice. Joy is a beautiful and wonderful feeling. A beautiful, wonderful feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Now, pretty soon, pretty soon you're going to have that totally memorized. Yes. Because that definition, we keep sharing it each week and you'll have it completely under, under your memory. Uh, today, it's it's a, I thought about this most of the week. You know, today I just want you to focus on this truth as we cover this together today. The joy of the Lord, even as he says in, in Nehemiah chapter 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I want you to understand that it is his joy that gives us the impetus to press on to face whatever comes our way in the promises of tomorrow. Amen. So, I just want you to think about that today. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever struggles you may have, I just want you to remember that the joy of the Lord is what will carry you through. And it's not just a uh, just not just a wishful thinking type of a joy. It is a joy that's based on solid solid truth we started looking at that last week and uh, the week before we want to look at it again today some additional things that describe joy makers joy makers and the first one is the first one is this joy is is full of divine providence i know we kind of talked about it a little bit last week But I wanted to spend some time on it today because it is astounding to me. It is completely amazing to me that Romans 8.28 is true. He says in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. All things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. So it may not feel like it at the moment, but the Bible makes it really clear that everything that's happening to you, that God takes all of that, he puts it almost like in a blender, and then he comes out with this incredible, wonderful mashed potatoes. (laughs) Not really, but he comes out with what we need, and he comes out with the real stuff. So... All things work together. I found this verse to be fascinating in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. Paul says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. So think about that for a moment. We're united with Christ, so we've received an inheritance from God. And then he says, For he chose us in advance. When did he chose us? The first part of chapter 1 says he chose us before the foundation of the world. And then he says, listen to this verse. He makes everything work out according to his plan. So as you're going through, it's really not not evident sometimes. In fact, sometimes you wonder what's going on uh, as he works all this out. And you wonder, you know, uh, how he's going to actually bring it to pass. But because of his calling of us, because of the inheritance that we've received, because of who we are, because of whose we are, we find that he always makes everything work out according to his plan. According to his plan. So it's full of divine providence. In other words, you have joy because no matter what happens and no matter what you're going through, The end is always going to be according to God's perfect plan. you, You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to think about it. You don't even have to question it. You just rejoice in it. So as you rejoice in that fact, what happens is you experience that rejoicing in your own heart. That's why joy is full of divine providence. In other words, joy is literally... The ongoing saga of one miracle after another. One miracle after another. Secondly, my joy is full because of his answers to prayer. His answers to prayer. James says you have not because you ask not. You don't pray so you don't get an answer. But we find that if you ask, you receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened unto you, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. And then he says in John chapter 16, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. Ask and you'll receive. That your joy may be full. Ask so that you receive, so your joy may be full. Now, the next one that we have here is my joy is is my response to the scriptures. You know, if you don't have enough joy, one of the places you can get joy is from reading the scriptures. Amen. The word of God really is full of not only promises, blessings, encouragement. The word of God gives you direction and so on. In Psalm 19 and verse 8, he says at the very first part, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. You know, you can get really frustrated when you try to work on something and uh, it doesn't work and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and so finally you decide, I think I'll get the directions. (laughs) And then after you get the directions and you follow the directions, it's amazing how it can come together. If you've done it before, you probably don't need the directions, but it's a it's a, it's an important part of of life. The word of God is God's directions for us. It's His love letter to us. It's His promises to us. And so, as you read the scriptures, He gives you His promises and the precepts of the Lord. He says are right, rejoicing the heart, causing our hearts to rejoice. And then, as I've told you in this series already, Jeremiah 15:16. One of my favorite verses, he says, Your words were found, and I did eat them. And your words were to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. The joy and rejoicing of my heart. So you read the word of God and you find there joy and rejoicing. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to find immediate answers, but it means that the Word of God gives you the promises, the Word of God gives you the blessings that are coming, and as you rejoice in them and respond to them, you will experience that, that joy. Another one that's really critical for us before we get into some, some uh, nuts and bolts in the book of Hebrews is the fact that my joy is God's promise of my future home in glory. My future home and glory. Most of you've heard this verse, but I really like the way it's put in the uh, voice, paraphrase and translation. He says, don't get lost in despair. Don't get lost in despair. He says, believe in God and keep on believing in me. My father's home is designed to accommodate all of you. If, If there were not room for everyone, I would have told you that I am going to make arrangements for your arrival. I will be there to greet you personally and welcome you home where we will be together. It's, it's, it's uh, just an expansion a little bit on, on what you've read before where, where Jesus tells us, you believe in God, believe also in me, don't, don't be troubled. In my father's house are many mansions. There's plenty of room for all of you. So don't worry about it, don't stress about it. Anyway, my my promise of tomorrow is vested in God's promise for my life, my future home. You know, that's why a lot of people can face the trials and the tribulations of life because they look forward to eternity and they look forward to what God is going to do. People even today that are living in in some really tough spots around the world, some of them facing death, some of them facing tribulation, some of them in prison for nothing more than believing in Jesus. And the result of it is that they are able to keep going and moving forward one of the lessons today for the kids uh, that Ruth is teaching was when you're in trouble, be like Paul and Silas. Sing and pray. Sing and pray. Well, it's no different for us. We know the promise of God and we know heaven is our home. Um, Bessie's brother was, this, uh, this last week, was, was uh, telling the people around him, I want to go home. And uh, he meant he wanted to go to his heavenly home. And he did. He did this last week. Daryl was, was uh, similar this last week after years of suffering for, from cancer. He's gone home to be with the Lord. Amen. But it's not necessarily just cancer or any of that kind of stuff. There's that guarantee of heaven that accommodates any trial or tribulation that you may face. Right. Your home is not here Your place of life and eternity is not here. So you don't need to be stressing over here. You need to look forward to there. Look forward to there. So we want to get into a portion of scripture from Hebrews chapter 12 now by looking at the following items that reflect joy. My joy is evidenced by the example of many others. The example of many others. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Hebrews 12, 1 tells us that all of Hebrews chapter 11 was a reflection, a testimony of all of those who've gone before. And the beauty of chapter 11 is Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and all those individuals went through a lot of trouble, went through a lot of persecution. They went through a lot of turmoil. And the fact is that there's a whole unlisted section in Hebrews chapter 11 as well of those who did not uh, go through, and you couldn't see some of the end of what they went through. But all of them together, even though they went through all of that, it says in Hebrews 11, they did not receive the promise having gone through it when they went through it. But now we look at Hebrews 12, and he says to us, first and foremost, Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, I've, I've read uh, various uh, documents and stuff on this, and, and uh, one of the things that people have said about this is that this great cloud of witnesses is like a great big arena. Surrounded, we are surrounded by those who've gone before and are in heaven, and they're all in heaven watching us. Well, can I, can I be a little bit of a downer for you? There is, no, there is no great big theater. There's no great big uh, gathering of, of God's people uh, who went on before. They're not sitting around watching us at all. They're focused on Jesus. They're focused on Jesus. But what all of Hebrews 11 reminds us of is this. They all went through it by faith and they all experienced what we're talking about as a result of their faith. Their example is evidence to me, brings me great joy. Great joy that because they went through it, I can go through it as well. Amen. My joy is, number six, my joy is experienced through my own discipline. You know, uh, they say, and we, we said it a lot when I was playing football and so on, no pain, no gain. No gain. In fact, the, the coaches used to remind us of the pain factor regularly. And they would say, you'll be hurting like crazy this week in practice, but when it comes game time in the fourth quarter, you won't feel no pain. you just be doing this like automatic. And the other team is going to be dragging, and you'll be just flowing right along because you already put in the time, you put in the pain, and you have now gain." Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, again, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so closely clings to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Very important. As you look at this race, you have to realize that there is a decision and the decision that we make is to run in this race. And the word for race is the word agony. Agony. There's plenty of agony in the race. It's, it's spelled A G O N I. But in the Greek. But anyway, uh, agony is is what we experience. And he says, let us lay aside every weight. There's two things you should lay aside: every weight and sin, which so which clings so closely. Every weight. You know, the Book of Hebrews is full of all of the things that have been promised and also full of all of the various traditions and all of the various feasts and so on. And so I just want to remind you that one of the things that, that the writer of Hebrews says you need to lay aside is every weight. And the weight here he's talking about, it goes back to all of the rules and regulations. All of the, you know, eat this, don't eat this. All of the do this and do that. And that's why there's verses of scripture like in Colossians where it says, don't let anybody talk to you about what you eat or what you don't eat. <coughs> in fact, there's a whole other section where, where Paul describes your days and so on, your, your times off and so on. And he makes those clear as well. So we have to discipline ourselves, not to get caught up in the weight of yesterday or the weight of tradition or the weight of doing things a certain way. We need to lay aside every weight, everything that would come as an encumbrance upon us. And not only every weight, but also the sin which clings so closely. And here he's not just talking about the sin that you face, But he's talking about sin as in general, sin as a a whole. Because sin as a whole, uh, the sin that you might even have trouble with, but all sin as a whole, when you're walking with the Lord, it almost seems to encroach upon you and just crowd in on you, come against you. So you lay aside the weights and you lay aside the sin put it aside. Lay those things aside and you run the race with endurance. This race that is set before you. You run with endurance. Number seven, my joy is focused on the founder and fulfiller of faith. You know, the greatest example of all is Jesus. He says in Hebrews 12, two, looking to Jesus, the founder, and perfecter of our faith. Jesus showed us how to live by faith. Jesus exercised exercised this truth for us. And he says, looking to Jesus, which is fascinating. It is a word that describes looking away. Looking away to Jesus. So you look away from everything else that's in the way and you focus your attention on Jesus and on Jesus alone. I was reading a, a a story about people that are people that run in a race and people that run in uh, hurdles. And uh, I knew this about other races, but I didn't know it about hurdles. If you run a race of in, a, in hurdles, you never look at the hurdle. I didn't know that. You look way beyond the hurdle, you look at the end, you look at the end. If you look at the hurdle, you'll start hitting the hurdle, yeah. knocking them over, it'll throw you off of, off of your rhythm. No, once you get into the rhythm, you start off and as you get into the rhythm, as you're looking ahead, you keep moving along and you keep jumping over it successfully. So he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Everything else, looking away to Jesus. By the way, it's interesting, uh, the, the, uh, the interesting word there, looking unto Jesus or looking to Jesus, it also means looking into Jesus. So it's a combination of not looking at him, but looking into him, into him as you run the race. <coughs> <coughs> excuse me as you run this race this race of agony number eight my joy is so great listen my joy is so great that all else means nothing my joy is so great that all else means nothing let me read Hebrews twelve two for you first and then talk about it with you Talking about Jesus, it says, who for the joy, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's multiple things that you see in this verse that describe what Jesus has done for us. It says the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the first one, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him. What was set before Jesus? Was the reality that Jesus would be in his father's house again? He'd be back where he was before? Yes. He'd be seated with his father? Yes. That he would have a return to his power and authority as God? Yes. All of that was true. So for the joy that was set before him, for all the promises and all the blessings that were coming, he endured the cross. There's no greater description of love than this. You love so much where you're going that you despise and deal with what you're facing as you try to take others with you, which is what Jesus did. The joy that was set before him, he first of all endured the cross, endured the cross. And uh, I know the the whole word of endurance there kind of sounds like he put up with it, and that's true. He dealt with it, he managed it, he put himself through all of that. But enduring the cross is more of an attitude. He kept it under him. Enduring is the, is the Greek word that talks about remaining under. He kept it under him. The cross under him as he moved forward. And then despising the shame. Despising the shame. Uh, you know, the shame is is quite a it's really quite a thing even the greatest of people you look at kings like saul or abimelech and some of the other kings of the old testament and when they were facing shame they took their own lives rather than face shame publicly they took their own lives they killed themselves saul fell on his throne his sword at the end there and killed himself. Anyway, so we find here that Jesus despised the shame. Basically, Jesus looked at shame and said, no, I don't care about you at all. You can do what you want. It doesn't mean a thing to me. My, my family can leave me. My disciples can walk away from me. All of those who are my support team here on earth, I can have no one left. So I'm all alone, but it doesn't matter. I will not succumb to this shame. I will despise this shame. I will push this shame down to where it belongs. I will look at this shame and say, you mean nothing. You're not important to me. You don't influence me. You don't determine to me what I will or will not do. Shame is a big deal, you know. And there's a lot of people that respond to the things that they face in life uh, and they don't want to be ashamed and so they do certain things so they're not ashamed. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter, let it come. Let it come. I will despise the shame. I will I will stand against it. I'll make fun of it. I will laugh at shame. Uh, Isaiah gives us a description of what Jesus did. So does, so does Jesus... In his own words and Paul and his words about Jesus on the cross so he he, he did all of that why so that he could sit sit at the right hand of the throne of God so my joy Jesus joy is my joy his joy was so great his joy was so powerful his joy was so cl- complete his joy was so full of the promises of his father in heaven that all else including the shame that he would face meant nothing nothing at all doesn't mean a thing doesn't mean a thing i don't know why but all week all week long i keep thinking about that doesn't mean a thing doesn't mean a thing doesn't mean a thing and for for the life of me if you can think of it you tell me but i know i've seen a movie a military movie or something when all the guys are basically talking about doesn't mean a thing doesn't mean a thing so if you think of what that is tell me because that'll make me happy because I cannot put my finger on it you know but but that's what it's like it's like it doesn't mean a thing it means nothing this is the most important thing right here this phraseology by the way despising the shame is a military phrase of a military that is holding on to and keeping a certain spot so that nobody can get in, nobody can get through. They're stopping the enemy right here at this point. Jesus said, I despise this shame. I will put an end to you right here at the cross. And then finally, Finally, my joy is full of Jesus' enduring and lifelong example. (laughs) Full of Jesus' enduring and lifelong example. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3, consider him, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Rethink that. Say it again. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Think of what they did to him. Think of what he went through. You know, they pulled half of his beard off and they they beat on him and so on. I almost think about his despising the shame and how he took all of this for himself and for us. And I think as Jesus was going through all of that, people reached out for his for his beard and Jesus, I think, just stuck his chin out like this. Take some. I mean, I don't know. I just think he was bold in his, in his response to take it all. To take it all. Anyway, it says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What Jesus went through and what Jesus did literally is, is everything for us. And what we go through is nothing compared to what Jesus went through. I think we have to remember and we have to rejoice and we have to be glad because he set the example for us. He taught us how to do this. He taught us how to endure. He taught us how to despise shame. He taught taught us how to run the race and discipline our lives by letting go of weights and letting go of sin. He taught us to look away from everything else to the finish line. And look at Jesus himself. He taught us all of those things, not so that we can just talk about it on this coming Sunday, today, the 27th. He did all of that so that we can learn from him, watch from him, and walk with him. So as you today think about what he's facing what you're facing, think about the challenges you face. Think about the difficulties you have. Think about all of the struggles that you've been going through. And just remember this. Remember this. He has a plan for you, and we read from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 that he will bring about that plan to completion. We read in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for good. He'll put it all together at the end. On your side, it looks like a mess. But then and on his side, he'll turn it over and it'll be absolutely incredible and beautiful. And so I just pray today that as you face trials, as we face difficulties, that we will focus on the joy that we have in him and find great strength there. Because Jesus is our hope and our strength. He is our joy and the joy of the Lord is our strength that's why Paul says repeatedly rejoice in the Lord rejoice in the Lord and again i say rejoice or as he says in 1st Thessalonians rejoice evermore rejoice evermore so how are you doing today pardon Rejoicing. (laughs) Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for having endured so much. We thank you for providing us with so great a salvation. And we pray, Father, that you'll be greatly blessed today as we leave here full of joy and full of the work of your Holy Spirit we pray in Jesus name. Yeah. Amen.